sermon this morning is entitled Conquering the Storms of Life. It is in the 8th chapter of Matthew, verses 23 to 27 that we find this morning's text. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You may be seated. Last week in a sermon entitled, Let Me First Go and Bury My Father, we saw the extraordinary cost of following Jesus as Lord. We saw that our duty to God exceeds any other duty in life, including the very good duty of honoring one's parents. We are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our soul, our might, and our minds. Jesus will not accept second place in anyone's life. Either Christ is God over your life, or someone or something else is. Personally, I believe that Jesus made such a harsh statement in order to filter out the crowd. Many were probably following for all the same reasons people follow Jesus today. You think about it today. Why do people follow Jesus? Some want comfort. Others want prestige, physical healings, or some other personal benefit. In fact, at one particularly memorable moment, in the sixth chapter of John, after feeding 5,000, the crowd was about to grab Jesus and make Him king. Why? Here we have a man who is able to provide free food. Isn't that why we choose presidents? Irrespective of his personal conduct or morality, as long as he can make the economy good, he should be our king. Here's how John put it in verses 14 through 15. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, now hear that. When the people saw him make food come out of nowhere... Then they exclaimed, Surely He is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force Him to be their king, He slipped away into the hills by Himself. He didn't want to be that kind of king. Apparently Jesus wants to be your king. But He only wants to be your king if you want Him for the right reasons. So whenever Jesus saw a crowd getting too large, He would occasionally filter the crowd. How? By declaring to them what it means to be a true follower of His. Isn't that true today? Isn't that the way to filter a church? I had a preaching professor once told me, who did, uh, tell me, that don't take number growth to be a sign of God's favor. He said, if Jesus were to preach in half of the churches in America on Sunday, 
those churches would empty out by the next Sunday. I think that's true. All is well when Jesus was providing free health care. All was well when Jesus was providing free meals. People love that. Great health care, great economy. What else is there in life? Well, that's what the unbeliever thinks. But when the crowd began to hear him speak about carrying a cross, leaving wives and children for missions, deployments, or at times not being even permitted to bury their own dead father, the crowd began to thin. John 6.60 occurred after one such speech. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a difficult teaching, who can accept it? Then six verses later, here's what John writes. As a result of this, what's this? The difficult teaching, right? As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You see, that's what happens when you begin to teach the high cost of discipleship. The crowds think. I am almost certain that the crowds became smaller after the, after the two interchanges between Jesus and His would-be followers that we read about in last week's message. Prohibiting a man from burying his father or informing a scribe that the Son of Man does not have a permanent home, no stable retirement account, is not the best way to build a following. Human beings love prestige, luxury, status, comfort, and security. There is a reason why Lexus and Mercedes-Benz is doing well. They're doing well in America. It's, it, it, there's no difference really between a Lexus and a Toyota. The only difference is the badge. Americans will pay for that badge of prestige, luxury, status. We want all of these things. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus offered none of those things. In fact, He offered the opposite. Many years ago, I remember a missionary telling me that following Christ was costly but that not following Christ was costlier. It takes faith to believe that. All the rewards for faithful discipleship are on the other side of eternity. No one's going to pay you well for evangelizing or dying for Christ. In heaven, you will receive your payday. But for now, there's much work to be done. Verse 23 of today's text says, His disciples followed Him. And those are key words. You want to put your finger right there. You want to highlight that. His disciples followed Him. Why is that so important? Well, after contextually understanding last week's and this week's text... After the interchange with the scribes and the man who was told he couldn't bury his father, verse 23 begins with the words, His disciples followed him. Because I believe a lot of people who after hearing last week's interchange stopped following him. What about you? Are you following Christ today? 
Because the followers of Christ follow Him, and they're about to follow Him into a storm. I would imagine a whole bunch of people left Christ after last week's words. However, the brave, true, the few followers of Christ moved on with Jesus and prepared for the worst. The twelve disciples did not have extraordinary faith, particularly while Jesus was on earth. In fact, in verse 26, Jesus says that they were men of little faith. But even though they did not possess extraordinary faith, they nevertheless followed Jesus, and as a result, they were able to see something spectacular. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have traded anything in the world for an opportunity to see Jesus do what He did on that stormy day so long ago. Let's talk about this text. The storm that arose in verse 24 was a massive storm. The Greek word used for the English word great in verse 24 is the Greek word megas. This was a severe, furious, fierce storm. It was a mega storm. The word for storm is the Greek word seismos. Does that sound familiar? It means violent earthquake. And this is how the Aramaic Bible in plain English translates the verse. And I like this translation of the verse because I think it accurately reflects the Greek. All the English translations don't really measure up. I've looked at them. This one does. Listen to this. And behold, a great earthquake occurred in the sea. So that the galley would be covered from the waves, but Yeshua was asleep. That's what happened. Gives you a very different picture, doesn't it? Now, the Sea of Galilee is located in the Jordan Rift Valley. Whether or not an actual earthquake occurred during the storm, we don't know. John could have uh, marked... I'm sorry, Matthew could have just simply been using the word to magnify the storm. But it is possible that there could have been an earthquake in the midst of that storm as well. Regardless, this was one massive storm. The story is found in all three synoptic gospels and Luke's version of the story informs us that the disciples set out at the master's command. Now why is that important? Why is it important to note that the disciples set out at Jesus' command? It's important to note that because Jesus, being God, must have known that a storm was going to come upon the sea. And yet, He still commanded His disciples to row out. I want you to listen to me carefully, all of you. When you became a Christian, I don't know how someone presented the gospel to you, but I want to make this very clear to you this morning. Jesus never promised a life without trouble and storms. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus never promised a life without trouble or storms. In fact, Jesus told us to expect them. In this world, you will have 
trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. You see, the cheer and the joy does not come in the absence of storms, but in the fact that Jesus has overcome them. Hallelujah. The narration of Jesus calming the storm powerfully proves that point for us in an almost visible manner. This is one of my favorite narratives in the New Testament. And quite honestly, I believe that God did not put this in the Bible in all three synoptic Gospels accidentally. It's for all of you today. It's for me. Because we all will go through storms. Listen to the following points drawn out from today's story. Number one, point number one. Jesus the human empathizes. What is the first thing we can get from today's text? Today's narrative. It's not, a cute, simp- it's not simply a story of Jesus miraculously calming a storm. This is a lesson. In fact, multiple lessons are here for you. Lesson number one, Jesus the human empathizes. As a full human being, Jesus can empathize with us in our frailty. After much ministry, Jesus was tired. That's why he fell asleep on the boat. He was tired. And, 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 and you know what? He was so tired that a great storm couldn't even wake him up. He was out cold. There's an application. The application here is that Jesus empathizes with your weaknesses. And the writer of Hebrews says, He empathizes with your temptations. You see, as, as a man, He was tempted in every possible way you were tempted yet without sin. And so as a great high priest, as your intercessor, He is able to intercede for you and empathize with you. You see, you never have to be ashamed that you're suffering from a certain temptation. You never have to feel, oh, Jesus, I can't pray to you about this because I'm so ashamed that I'm coming before you and letting you know that I'm being tempted with this. (coughs) That's how the devil wants you to think. Because if you stay away from the Lord in the midst of that, you will fall into that temptation. But what does Jesus want? Jesus wants you to come to Him in the midst of temptation. And you know what you'll find? You'll find a faithful, empathizing high priest who will say to you, My son, my daughter, be strong. You will overcome this temptation because I have as well. Christ has been tempted And He is able to empathize with us in the midst of our temptations. Remember that. Number two. Lesson number two. Storms strengthen our faith. Storms strengthen our faith. Do we want to go through a storm? Of course not. But there's no doubt about it. Storms strengthen our faith. Although Jesus knew that a storm would be upon them, nevertheless, He commanded the disciples to row out into the sea. Now, what kind of loving master does that? A master who wants to see his disciples grow. 
He knew that the storm would strengthen his disciples' faith like nothing else would. And here's the application for this point. God never promised a trouble-free life. Instead, He promised His presence in the midst of all of life's storms. Our storms will strengthen our faith. Do, do you believe that the disciples came out on the other side with stronger faith after seeing what they saw on that sea? I guarantee you they did. One of the synoptic writers, I forgot who it was, says that they worshipped Him after that incident. It's almost as if uh, uh, all the miracles they saw on the side prior, they weren't enough. But after they saw that the winds and the sea obeyed Him, they worshipped Him. You see, it strengthens your faith, my brothers and sisters. Certain storms that you and I go through, when we come out of those storms, we say, Lord Almighty, only You, only You could have pulled me through. It strengthens our faith. Number three. Here's an important one. Trust in God and go to sleep. Although Jesus knew that a storm would rage, Jesus nevertheless fell asleep on the boat. Verse 24 states that the waters were in the boat and were beginning to swamp the boat. In other words, the waters were in the boat already. Can you imagine some disciples? Probably, you know... You probably have some fringe disciples who are like oh, Thomas, probably Thomas. I hate to pick on Thomas, but I'm just going to pick on Thomas. Thomas was probably saying the storm was starting and he was saying, guys, let's wake up Jesus. The storm, the skies are getting gray. Probably Peter is saying, nah, you wimp, come on, hold out. But I tell you what, by the time the waters are coming into the boat, all of them are running to Jesus saying, wake up, wake up. Don't you care? We will perish, oh master. Literally, those are the words they use. The waters were swamping the boat. And yet Jesus was still sleeping. Here's an application. God gives His beloved sleep. Sweet sleep is a gift from God. How many of you, after a good night's sleep, thank the Lord? Alright, let me ask a different question. How many of you, after several nights of not being able to sleep because you have too many thoughts on your mind, finally get a good night's sleep? Thank the Lord. Mm. Sweet sleep is a gift from God. If you know that God is with you, then cast your anxieties upon Him and rest easy. Psalm 127.2 In vain you rise early and stay up late. Toiling for food to eat. Thinking about that job promotion or where you're going to get work. But here's what the text says. For He, God, grants sleep to those He loves. God gives sleep to those He loves. I have young children and I sometimes one of the most beautiful things to watch is your little one sleeping. They sleep like a baby. It is so peaceful. It makes me want to go to sleep when I see that. Something, it's something very beautiful about sleeping like a baby. So Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Proverbs 3.24 
accurately describes Jesus. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Oh, I love that. Sweet sleep. Jesus was not afraid during a severe storm. Neither should we be afraid. I can't recall the story exactly, but I remember the story of a, of a U.S. serviceman who during World War II was captured by the Nazi Germans. And uh, they had him all in a confinement prison on board a Nazi ship. And they were on the seas. And this sailor was worrying day and night. He couldn't sleep. And then he remembered this song. And you know what he said? He prayed to God. He said, well... If you're up and you're taking care of me, there's no point in both of us being up. And he went to sleep. He went to sleep. He said, Lord, you, you, you have my back. I'm going to go to rest. Number four. Jesus will ensure your safe crossing. In verse 26, Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea. Now, if you read the text here... The word rebuke is almost in the same manner as he rebukes the demon possessed. It's almost as if the sea and the wind are personified as a tumultuous, boisterous, rebellious individual. And, and the text says that Jesus rebukes them. And he brings calm in verse 26. See, our God is a God of peace. The disciples thought that they would perish, but instead they made it to the other side. They made it safely to the other side. Jesus was and still is the Son of the living God, and He knew that as long as He was on that boat and it wasn't the Father's time for Him to go, nothing in the world would sink that boat. Nothing. Nothing in the world would sink that boat. I'm going to give you an application. Whether it's job loss, the loss of a child, financial difficulty, disease, or eventually even death, the Christian can safely rest in the knowledge that with Jesus, He will ensure His safe crossing, and as long as we have Christ, we need not worry. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm not just preaching this to you. I believe this myself. I wish to close this sermon with an additional point of application from verse 26. Oh, how the disciples were very much like us. You know, sometimes I look at the life of the apostles and I get, gain great strength from their faith and courage and bravery. Like the time when the apostle Peter and John were in the temple and uh, they had just been told not to preach. And they go out there and they preach anyway in public. And they're whipped and they're beat up. And they turn around to the, the Jewish authorities. And they look at them and say, Whether it be right to obey God or man, you be the judge. But we cannot help but to proclaim the things we have seen and heard. And I get great exhortation from reading things like that. But I also get a lot of encouragement from reading the time, about the times when the disciples were just, you know, there's no other word for it, cowards. These boys walked with the living God, and yet they feared for their lives. Today's story shows us that even though, even if we were to have walked with Jesus, 
And even if we saw all His miracles, it would still be hard to be full of faith all the time. How many of you find it hard to run at 100% faith all the time? It's hard. It's hard. I mean, there are days you're good. You, a good day, 85, 90, 95, really good day, right? 100% all the time. It's hard. And these boys, they had faith, but it wasn't at 100%. And although we could find some comfort in knowing that even the disciples were of little faith at times, we should simultaneously remember that they were rebuked by Christ for their small faith. Christ's rebuke should challenge us to have greater faith in our God. So what I'm saying here is, I'm not allowing you, and I'm not leaving you in a place to say, okay, the disciples had little faith, so it's okay for me to have little faith. No, no, no. I'm allowing you to get some encouragement from that, but I'm also exhorting you to have greater faith because Jesus rebuked them for their little faith. Though He bore with them. But whether or not you have a lot of faith or a little faith, the key I want to make, the key point I want to make here today is that you have faith. Let me say that one more time. Whether or not you have a lot of faith or a little faith, the key is having faith. You see, Jesus said that the disciples were people of little faith. And although they were people of little faith, He nevertheless quieted the storm for them. Why? Because they were with Jesus. They had faith. Today, you might feel as if your faith is slipping. You might think that you don't have much faith compared to others. But as long as you have faith, even as Jesus once said, the faith the size of a mustard seed, then you have Jesus on your boat, and trust me, He's all you need. He'll walk with you, and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And remember, ultimately, it is not about the greatness of your faith. Instead, it is about the greatness of your God. I want you to remember this sermon, because there are going to be times in your life where difficulties will arise and you feel your faith is small. Remember this message on that day. Jesus says, I am with you. Verse 27 states that the disciples marvel, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Of course, Jesus was no ordinary man. The winds and sea obey him because he is God. The narrative is a powerful attestation to Jesus' deity. Show any Jehovah Witness this text. The winds and sea obey because Jesus is God. Jesus was the God-man, fully God and fully man. And this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever storm you're going through right now, Jesus is with you and He will ensure your safe crossing. Just don't be afraid. And don't get angry at God because you don't understand why it's happening. In verse 26, Jesus rebukes the disciples for saying, by saying, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? What happens when we have little faith? There are times anger 
rises in our hearts as we lash out at God. Other times, fear rises. Remember that fear drives our faith. Faith either drives our fear or fear will drive our faith. Fear is the evidence of smoldering, dissipating faith. Faith, as it rises within a person, quells fear. Right? That's why Jesus says, Why are you of little faith? Why are you so afraid? I have to say that the preparation of this sermon did me much good. It did my soul much good. There is so much uncertainty in my family's future. As a church, we have gone through quite a storm. Quite a storm. If I break down the percentage of, of, of even current membership compared to what we had prior to the storm, it's breathtaking. And though at times the waves swamped us and waters came into the boat, the Lord has managed to pull us through. The boat is still sailing. Here we are, Mustard Seed. Sailing strong. While things that needed to be closed out have been closed out. And the Lord has put us on some quiet seas for now. Praise the Lord for that. Yet there is much uncertainty up ahead. And I hate to be a negative prognosticator, but I am certain that there are more storms up ahead. It's not because God hates us. It's not because we're sinning. Oh no, we're actually standing on righteousness. It's because... We serve a loving God who seeks to strengthen our faith. Remember, Jesus knew, and yet He commanded His disciples to sail right into the storm. Because He loved them. As I said earlier, Jesus promised that we will have tribulations upon this earth. The Apostle Paul said that with much tribulations we shall enter into the kingdom of God. But here's the good news. Jesus is on our boat and He will safely pull us through. Each storm strengthens our faith as we get to witness the power of God up close. Must you see this past year, the storm has been intense. But couldn't you say, can't you say that God has been with us in ways that we've never seen Him before? we have been able to see the power of God up close. Earlier in the sermon, I said the words, His disciples followed Him, found in verse 23, were key words. Although they followed Him into a difficult storm, don't you feel sorry for the people who dropped out and stopped following Christ because it got too hard? Don't you feel sorry? I mean, in the height of the storm, I could imagine the people standing at the shore if they knew that they were out there. I could imagine them standing at the shore saying, I'm glad I didn't follow them into that boat. I'm glad I didn't follow that man. I'm glad I'm not at sea. But boy, oh boy, the disciples who were in that boat wouldn't have traded that for the world. 
Because you see, in that storm, through that storm, because they followed Jesus and they didn't give up at the hard word of Christ, they were able to see the spectacular. They were able to see the manifestation of Jesus as the Son of the living God. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing in this world worth trading for that. Nothing. God never wastes a storm. Storms often bring out the best in us. Let me just say that one more time. God never wastes a storm. Some of you probably sit there, sitting there right now and thinking back at your life. And you remember hard things that happened in your life. And you're probably still wondering, why did God allow that to happen to me? I want to say this very clearly. God never wastes a storm. Storms often bring out the best in us. It also separates the true from the false. Each storm in a Christian's life is part of God's intentional plan. Each storm forces you to exercise your faith. Each storm forces you to pray harder like never before. Each storm demolishes idols and worldly desires. Each storm brings you closer to Jesus. Upon deeper contemplation, I think that it is safe to say that many storms of life are prepping us for life's ultimate storm, death. When our time to die draws nigh, very few things on earth will matter. The most important question in that final hour will be, are my sins forgiven by God? Again, nothing else will matter. You could accomplish much, you could gain a lot of money, you could have a wonderful family, but nothing else will matter except for the one question, are all my sins forgiven by God? And you can be ready for that final hour. You can be ready today. How? By believing in the gospel. What is the gospel? Listen carefully, here's what it is. Number one, God is a holy, righteous God who loves you, but He must administer justice upon every sin. Number two, all humans are sinners. We're born in sin, and we commit sins the rest of our lives. Upon death, we all deserve punishment from God in hell for our sins. Number three, the good news of the gospel is this. God loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to live a sinless life and die on the cross for your sins. And upon dying on the cross for your sins, three days later, He historically resurrected from the grave so that if you would repent of your sins, number four, and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will have eternal life. And Upon believing in Jesus as Lord, you will be ready for life's final storm. Are you ready for life's final storm? All of us by now have seen people in pain, have attended funerals. It's coming. But you can be ready for life's final storm with Jesus by your side. Do you have Jesus today? There's nothing more important. 
I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than, in, than on sunny shores without Christ. I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than on a sunny shore without Christ. The hour of death is indeed life's greatest storm. Often, it brings great fear into the hearts of many. Yet for the Christian, it is merely one more storm. By then, we shall be storm-tested and ready to go. I want to be that way. I want to live the rest of my 30, what, 30, 35 years left in a storm-tested way so that when the final biggest storm comes, I'm, I just stare that bad boy in the face and say, let's go. We've been through it enough. Jesus has pulled me through all these other storms. Years of storm experiences will have us ready for that final storm. And we shall not fear, for Jesus is in that boat. Barnes, a wonderful expositor of Scripture, puts Matthew 8.26 in this manner. He says this, You should have remembered that the Son of God, the Messiah, was on board. You should not have forgotten that He had power to save and that with Him you are safe. So Christians should never fear danger, disease, or death. With Jesus, they are safe. No enemy can reach Him. And as He is safe, so shall they be also. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your holy word.